Is this simply another sequel? Well, if it is, same rules apply. But here's a critical thing. If you find yourself dealing with an unexpected backstory and a preponderance of exposition, then the sequel rules do not apply because you are not dealing with a sequel. You are dealing with the concluding chapter of a trilogy. trilogy. That's right. It's a rarity in the horror field, but it does exist. Hey guys, welcome back to Spooky Tuesday. I'm Sydney Thompson. I'm Monica Height. And I'm Chelsea Duff. And today we are talking about my favorite from the franchise, Scream 3. We've been hyping it up so much and we finally get to tackle it. And I would just like to start off by saying um, Oscar for Parker Posey. Oscar for Parker Posey. It, it should have happened already. So, I mean, do they do retroactive Oscars? Because they need to start just for Parker Posey in this role. She at least should have gotten the 1990s equivalent to an Oscar and MTV Movie Award. And she did get close. I would like to say she did get close. She was nominated for Best Comedic Performance. Nev Campbell was also nominated for Best Female Performance. Unfortunately, neither of them won. Um, Parker Posey lost to Adam Sandler and Big Daddy. Absolutely robbed. But Nev lost to Sarah Michelle Gellar in Cruel Intentions, which I, I think is probably fair. Yeah, that's fair. But I will also say Oscar for Nev Campbell because I thought she did an incredible performance in this movie. Um, It's like so silly and campy and over the top at almost every possible moment. But then she gives this really like emotional, dramatic, heartfelt, empathetic performance. And I think it really balances the tone um, because this movie is a lot more off the rails than the other (laughs) screams. Truly unhinged, but not in a horror way, in a like comedy way. <laughs> no, it kind of it kind of feels like a Scooby Doo movie in a yes. way. Yes, I've had the like, Scooby Doo theme song stuck in my head all day. Maybe that's why. <laughs> it does. It feels like you know Dale, Dale, Gale, and <laughs> that's their ship name. That's their ship, their ship name. I ship Dale. <laughs> we love Dale, Gale, and Dewey, and you know all the kooky cast of stab three are solving a crime because there's a man in the mask mm-hmm. he's meddling kids <laughs> <laughs> oh man i really hope we do scooby-doo on the pod even though it's barely even remotely horror but um, matthew lillard's in it so uh <laughs> it's still spooky they go to spooky island and if it oh. is spooky we will cover it yeah monster movies are part of our genre yeah. That's true. That's true. All right, it's on the list. We do yeah. not discriminate Date here. Date TBD. <laughs> okay. So, as we said earlier, this movie has way more of a campy murder mystery feel, and that was because there was some real life shit going down with this movie. Um, yeah, the the climate of the, the U.S. of A. was not really uh, Jones in for you know, bloody horror. And it had great, great reasoning for that. Uh, unfortunately, Columbine had just happened. And so that caused a slew of rewrites for this movie, including one that was particularly devastating for me. Apparently in this 2009 interview, Matthew Lillard, aka Stu from the first Scream, um, but you should know him outside of that, dear God. Um, he said that he was supposed to be written in as the main bad boy in Scream 3. He was going to be the ghost-faced killer in this movie and he was going to have like organized all these murders from prison, all this stuff, but 
they didn't like the idea of bringing it back to like some sort of uh, like high school murder energy at all. So they cut that out completely and bye bye Matthew Lillard. He was not in this movie for even a second. Which is very unfortunate. But this movie has way less violence, way less on-screen deaths, and the deaths that are on screen aren't very graphic at all. At one point, people with the movie tried to get Wes Craven to have zero violence at all, and Wes Craven literally just said, call it a different movie. It's not Scream then. Yeah, seriously, there's no way to do it without it. But I mean, I know Sydney was really upset about the the... I don't know. I was going to say square footage of fake blood, and I'm going to still say that. Square footage of fake blood. Like, (laughs) it was way down this time around. There's only 10 gallons of blood used throughout the entire movie compared to 50 in the first and 30 in the second, which I understand, but there can always be more blood. For sure. And they, everyone would have looked so much sexier if they just got like even 15 gallons. Come on, a few more. We do get a glimpse of uh, Patrick Dempsey covered in fake blood at the end. And so that Oof. that makes up for it for me personally. I, I would have to agree with you there. <laughs> yeah, I got to say, while I'm fully on board with the everybody looks better covered in fake blood, um, I also didn't really notice that there was not as much blood. Like for me, I thought all of the on-screen deaths were still super fun and creative. Um, I thought that the opening with Cotton was a blast. I know we, we've talked about this before. I know you guys think that it is not as strong as the other openers and like you're right in that it can't be divorced from the context of the first two movies. Like it wouldn't hit the same as a short film on its own. No, the way that the openers for Scream that. and Scream 2 would. No, you're they right. They can't send it to Tribeca. They can't send it to Con or Kane. I still don't know how you say it. <laughs> they would not um, award it anything on its own. No MTV a movie award for Cotton's death. But I loved it and I thought it was great. Um, but again, I, I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with this movie in general. So that's my take. Yeah, they they make up for the lack of sheer gore craziness with a lot of kooky characters who I truly love and think about every day. Or at least every day for the last two weeks because we've been talking about this all the time. (laughs) But okay, this opening, it wasn't as good. We just went over that, but it had some iconic moments. I personally loved the trip through Los Feliz because <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I used to live there and it was beautiful. And also I was really into Cotton's gorgeous all white suit he was wearing. Like, wow, he's so extra now that he's famous. Monica, it's not an all white suit. The man mixed white with cream. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. Even for the that awkward late nineties, early two thousand period where everything was unhinged fashion wise, unacceptable. He should have known better. He really that's one of the basic rules of fashion. You don't mix white and cream. You gotta make sure your blacks match. Like, come on. This is this is elementary school stuff here. Jesus cotton. It's color theory. Don't you have a stylist? Come on. Okay, but maybe, counterpoint, maybe he's doing a little power clashing, the same way that we see Gail doing with her yellow suit and red top. When Gail looks like Ronald McDonald. (laughs) Like a little french fry. (laughs) A beautiful, sexy french fry. But 
also an interesting fashion choice. Yeah. Gail's looks on the whole weren't as great on this film. Um, I mean, the bangs. I'm going to make a statement and say Gail's bangs are the scariest part of this movie. Aww. I like Gail's <laughs> bangs. <laughs> You're like maybe the only person in the world besides David Arquette who feels that way. And also, I don't even think David Arquette was down because it's his fault. Like, that's why that happened. That's true. He told her that she would look good with Betty Page bangs and she, Okay. I, I, I have talked about this before, and I said she didn't look good with Betty Page bangs. Maybe she did, but they didn't like it for the role, and they just gave her baby bangs instead. I don't know. Maybe this so They not- attacked her in the dead of night and chopped him off willy-nilly because that's what it looks like. It looks like someone tried to rip out the front of her hair, and that was all that was left. But doesn't it feel a little in character that maybe Gail has, like, an on-set stylist on her TV show who hates her? Or maybe Gail has, like, pissed (laughs) pissed off somebody in her life with, like, her bad gossip. You know what I mean? Maybe she did an expose about a hair salon, and when she went undercover to blow the whole thing wide open, they gave her baby bangs. I really like that. That's what happened. That's canon now. <laughs> I've got a little fan fiction for everything. You guys will you guys will find that out. God, if you could expand that into a full length, I would be really interested. I'm gonna write a one shot where Gail oh. gets a haircut. <laughs> Thrilling. <laughs> But okay, in this movie, just in general, though, like Gail and Dewey are kind of the low key, high key stars of this whole film. Like Sydney's there; she's still the main gal. But and arguably, she is peak Sydney. She in is, in my opinion. Oh yeah, Sydney. She's not the main. I mean, she is, but I think in this movie, she is a hundred percent a supported, a supporting character. Yeah, and, and she literally was only on set for 20 days due to some contract shit. And that bob this time around was a wig. That's crazy. It's crazy but to say. But it was a good wig because she looked so hot in it. And she looked the gayest that she's looked so far, even though Agreed. she's literally wearing her ex-boyfriend's fraternity letters. Yeah. She's by icon. A bicon. A bicon. That's what it is. <laughs> But she's definitely reaching some sort of peak here. I mean, it's a little problematic at the beginning when she's just lonely, lonely Sydney out in a little cabin on a mountain, I like to imagine, with her doggo. Um, You know, I think she's having a great time being off by herself. But also, girl, everyone needs friends. Like, let's not totally self-isolate. Okay, but also, I love the fact that she lives alone in this ranch in the mountains And she's got a big gate that says, beware of dog. And we see the dog and it is the doofiest looking dog you have ever seen in your entire life. And that (laughs) relates to me because I also have a beware of dog sign in my window at my house. And I also have a big doofy dog (laughs) that would not (laughs) protect me from anything. I also have a beware of dog sign in my backyard <laughs> and my dog is a 15 year old like 10 pound miniature poodle who can't walk. 
You should be aware of BB though. You should be aware of BB at all times. Oh yeah, be aware, not be aware. It's B space aware. Like, please don't step on him. He's very small. He's very small. I think giving Sydney a dog though was absolutely the right move because, okay, to me, Sydney is she's got her own dope ass house in the mountains. Like, mm-hmm. it's I do want to know like. How is she getting paid that much by a crisis center? Is her dad funding her lifestyle? Like, he had a sick house in the first movie. She has to be getting some kind of money from the movies and the book because it's based off of her life. Like, that has to be but some kind of income it's not. She thing. didn't sell her life rights, though. It's based on Gail's book. So if anybody's getting the movie, the money, it's Gail. Is Gail giving her money? Maybe. I feel like that... I hope so. Remember we talked about in Scream 2 how Sydney obviously had to have helped Gail write the book, otherwise they wouldn't have known certain things. So I feel like she's probably getting some good, good residuals from that as well. We can only hope after so much trauma that someone is paying her fat stacks of cash. Like <laughs> That's the least that she deserves after what she's been through. But she's put that cash to work either way, wherever it's coming from. She's got a nice house. She's got a lovely little doggy. She's got a job that honestly seems so right for her to be a crisis counselor working from home. Like, when she was studying drama in Scream 2, I was like, literally, where did this come from? We've never seen this before, and I never would have guessed this. Like, was she incredible in her role as Cassandra? Yes, obviously, Sydney is the best. But, like, I said when we were talking about it at the time, and maybe I was projecting, but I was like, she should be a writer or she should be a social worker. Like, what is she doing studying theater? Um, And then they finally gave that to me in this film and also she has a gun now finally she's got her own gun showing that she's like i'm not gonna sit here and wait to be killed again she's Um, very prepared in this movie which is one thing that i love about her is she carries pepper spray with her at all times you know she has a gun she has a dog amazing she was like, fool me once, hell no. F- f- I don't know what the phrase is. Fool me once, <laughs> hell no. That's it. Fool me once, hell fucking no. I have a gun now. Just, Just don't do it. Twice because we are on the third movie. Fool me once, something happens. Fool, fool me, me once, hell no. Fool me twice, get a gun. <laughs> fool me twice, get a gun. Get a gun. That's, I think that's the age old saying. Yeah. So, I mean, nailed like, that one. Just well, I am thrilled for her to be prepared. It is also sad because the reason that she's prepared is because she's like every best friend I've ever had has been murdered. Um, So that sucks, which is maybe also why she's like no more friends for Sydney. Um, But the second that Dewey calls her to be like, hey, you got to get down here. And she's been seeing the news and stuff like she gets down there and Dewey has been the undercover best friend to her all along because so Dewey. True. Yeah, the second that she shows up, first of all, they do have another weird moment like in Scream 2 where I was like, is this sexy? Um, The weirdest sexual tension between Sydney and Dewey throughout. And I don't know how I feel about it. I'm really glad that I was making salsa during that scene and didn't notice it because I just don't want to believe you guys that that happened, but I do because I trust you. And also I could feel it in the Scream 3 scene they had together and it was icky. Okay, I just, I have to say, though, it did leave me with the impression that obviously nothing is happening between them now or ever, Um, and it made me feel like Dewey 
had a big crush on Sydney when she was just Tatum's best friend. When it was just like, oh, this girl's over at my house a lot. Like, she's so cute. She's so wonderful. Like, oh, sad. She's been through this trauma with her mom. I'm on the police force now. I'm going to be a hero. Um, And obviously, he gets, like, swept up in the Gale stuff in the first scream. But the Gale storm. Yeah, but ever since then, he's, like, shown up for Sydney every opportunity he can. Like, beginning of Scream 2 murder start happening on Windsor campus he just like he's there immediately like limping across the quad to meet up with Sydney (laughs) and then absolutely bewildered yes and then in Scream 3 we find out he's when he and Gail are like sitting at Earth Cafe discussing like the murders and stuff first of all obviously it's Earth Cafe it's Um, 100% Earth Cafe that's where everyone in Hollywood goes you gotta get your boba you know what I mean oh yeah Um, of course but they're sitting there talking about, like, why things didn't work out between them. Um, and Gail says that Dewey never wanted to leave Woodsboro because it's the only place that he thinks is real. But he left to come work on Stab 3. And we find out that he came to work on Stab 3 because somebody was, like, nosing around Sydney when he was working still as a police officer in Woodsboro. And they called to get her file. And then somebody broke into the records room after he already, like, yanked her file out of there. Which just goes to show that Dewey, like, dropped his whole life, moved across Mm -hmm. the country, also that he would be, like, prepared to protect Sydney. Well, he didn't really move across country because isn't Woodsboro in, like, the Bay Area? And then he just moved to LA. He moved across the country. (laughs) He moved heaven and earth so he he could be with Sydney. No one knows where Woodsboro is. No one knows. Okay, that's a good point. But regardless, he moved down the state. It's, It's still a big move and it's a huge drive (laughs) a small town to hollywood you know like that's the big time baby as they say in the olden days and he's like dating a whole ass movie star okay first of all it's just a lot of culture shock that he did for sid not so he could be banging it out with a c-lister which i presume jennifer jolie is if she's being in all these scream movies stab movies excuse me but she gives off c-lister energy but we love her we as if love she is meryl okay. streep c-lister energy in this movie is called cartoon energy because as much as i love her performance it is just so over the top she just looks like a cartoon character actor and i am here for it parker posey so often brings cartoon character energy um and she did the same thing in Josie and the Pussycats in which she plays Fiona and yes there's a lot of overlap between Jennifer Jolie and Fiona and yes I could be convinced that there's a larger extended universe where Jennifer Jolie faked her death in this movie and went on to become a record executive in Josie and the Pussycats you know I think like (laughs) we can make that leap if we want to um because Fiona, I'm, I'm not going to get into Josie and the Pussycats. Sorry, I was going to go off the wall a little bit there. But we should do a separate <laughs> mini pod if we ever do a Patreon. And it was like, unlock Chelsea's Josie and the Pussycats episode. No, all of our Patreon will be Chelsea's fanfics that she comes up with all the horror movies. <laughs> 
Um, I, I'm open to that. Um, and I'm also prepared at some point to make my case that Josie and the Pussycats is a scary movie because is there murder sort of, are there murder attempts for sure? Um, and it's like, who's behind this, you know, like brainwashing that's scary, but that's a different movie and not what we're talking about right now. What we're talking about is Scream 3, Jennifer Jolie playing Gail and every note that she gives Gail throughout the movie being like, my Gail would never do this. Like, my Gail would be smarter oh than that. God. Like, I am obsessed with it. I loved it so much. I loved when they finally teamed up and it was Gail and Gail take on the world. Um, but what I loved most of all was the moment when – Parker Posey, Jennifer Jolie, thinks she's next to be killed, and she's just, like, having a small freakout with her bodyguard, Stephen Stone, a.k.a. Kronk from Emperor's New Groove, and Kronk. she just telepathically communicates to him that she's on the verge of a swoon, on the precipice of a swoon, and he just swoops her into his arms, holds her tight to his chest, and she is just, like, safe and comforted. That's what I would like at every moment of every day. I'm also 800 million percent positive that Chelsea Duff has a gif of this exact moment on her phone. And I am positive because she sent it to us after we watched this for the first time. <laughs> she made the gif. Like there wasn't one. And she was like, hold on. Let me, what minute exactly? What was it? 33 minutes and 32 seconds. <laughs> like go back and, and record this so we can have it for posterity. And honestly, you're doing the Lord's work, Chelsea. Thank you so much. We will make sure to post that gif on our social media. So you listener can also enjoy it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, it is my magnum opus. I also do know, and I would like the record to show that you are trying to bait me into saying GIF, um, <laughs> which is how I say it, but I don't want to get into the discourse about that because that's not what this podcast is about. But record, let the record show, like, I, I see you and I know what you're doing and I'm not going to fall for it. Let the record show that we still think you're insane for calling it GIF. I just want I just want anyone who's listening who also says GIF to feel valid in this moment. You know what I mean? I don't want – if they say GIF, that's fine. They can be Team Monica and Sydney, but let's not isolate any of our listeners. Fine. Let's do a poll afterwards. No, 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 I don't want to. <laughs> can I say my favorite The Gale moments? Uh-huh. Yes, please. Okay, so – Parker Posey's character is named Jennifer Jolie, right? And Gail makes a snip, like a snip about sorry it didn't work out with Brad Pitt. But it, at this point, it's 2000. Jennifer Aniston is still married to Brad Pitt because Mr. and Mr. Mr. and Mrs. Smith hasn't even been filmed yet. So I think that Courtney Cox predicted that um they were gonna split up. <laughs> Wow, she is she's an all-seeing eye. She ha she has the sight. <laughs> she would have that inside info though. She didn't need to have the sight, you know what I mean? She could be like, "I know that there's some funny business." But you're right. If it didn't even, okay. Yeah, it didn't even happen yet. She's got the sight. Give her credit. <laughs> like 5 full years before the movie was made and this happened, she was saying Jennifer Jolie. <laughs> You better hope wow. that Jennifer Aniston and Courtney Cox never listen to this podcast or you're going to get one of them in trouble with the other. I'm sorry, you too. I love you. 
I, I, I know they are listening, so we're going to be in a real pickle here. <laughs> okay, there are so many good Gale and Gale, double Gale moments. My favorite one, or one of them, is when they first meet each other, and Jennifer Jolie's like, oh my god, Gale Weathers, listen, I know we've never met, and I don't mind you're not returning my calls, but after two fi- films, I feel like I'm in your mind. And Gale goes, hmm, that would explain my constant headaches. <laughs> they they're so good i i will say maybe the gales are my favorite on-screen couple in this movie honestly they could beat out dewey and gail who are i think at their best together in this film but parker posey again oscar she's just so good and they have such funny chemistry they're so silly together and then also gail gets punched in the face the first two scream movies gail finally gets to punch somebody in the face and it's also gail like that's great amazing i also love that at that scene right after gail punches jennifer jolie she's like my lawyer loved that (laughs) and gail's like not as much as i did yes so much intense back and forth (laughs) their lines are so perfect together i just love them so much but there are also a lot of really good lines in one of the first death scenes in the film not cotton in the opener but sarah darling Um, Mm. I think this might actually be my favorite death in the movie, but she is called in to rehearse some of her lines. Um, And one of my favorite aspects of Scream is that there are just so many Hollywood jokes. It's like so meta about the industry, about Los Angeles in general. We've got like traffic problems on the 101 in the beginning of the movie. Um, Mm -hmm. We've got jokes about like what goes into making a movie we've got jokes about Gail being like a celebrity entertainment reporter coming face to face with one of the actors who she just did like a hit piece on about a DUI um but we've got Jenny McCarthy playing a she's what how old did you say when we were talking about it the other day Monica 27 29 she is 27 years old and she well you'll you'll say it this line she does is so good yeah she says in character as Sarah Darling, I'm not happy that I'm a 35-year-old playing a 21-year-old. I'm not happy that I have to die naked. And I'm not happy that my character is too stupid to have a gun in the house after her boyfriend is cut into fish sticks. I think it's so fun that she's 27 playing a 35-year-old playing a 21-year-old. That's Hollywood, baby. (laughs) Seriously. Oh, it's perfect. But it also gives the, the, okay, What we loved so much about the first Scream is that it's a love letter to the genre. And what I love so much about Scream 3 is it has so much fun at the genre's expense. Not only do we get another Randy monologue later on, um, a little post-mortem monologue from Randy from his dorm room in Scream 2 where he breaks down trilogies and the final arc of a trilogy. But we also just get Sarah Darling kind of eviscerating the the exploitation in scary movies and how like all of a sudden everybody is about to get in the shower um instead of okay like Drew Barrymore in the opener in Scream just going about her life making some popcorn about to watch a movie and then you get Heather Graham as Casey Becker in Stab where she's about to get in the shower and she's only wearing a robe and that is like a very nice and little satirical moment on its own 
But then we get even more of it from Sarah Darling. And I just think it's so fun where she's like, hang on, let me get some clothes. See, I don't see why I have to start the scene in the shower. The whole shower thing's been done. It really has. One of my favorite quotes from this scene is she just goes, my boyfriend just died. Why am I showering? Mm-hmm. I just, okay. Showers can be soothing, though, so I don't totally agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> They're just, that's also a moment where they get to complain about all the different rewrites that the that stab three is going through and how they she's like how the fuck are we supposed to learn our lies when there's another goddamn script every 15 minutes um and that is another made a moment about scream two where originally there had been like some extra on set who leaked the first 40 pages of the script online and there had been a different killer originally like i think mrs loomis was always the end goal but it wasn't going to be mickey it was going to be like hallie and Derek, i think at first um oh whoa, wait. yeah totally different movie um it was going to be hallie and Derek, and then there were leaks and they ended up changing a bunch of stuff and the same was true with screen three where they were going through like constant rewrites and so again i just think it's fun to have fun at your own expense you know what i mean like this this movie to me was just um an absolute blast yeah, I feel like the first one's a love letter to horror and the second one's hate mail to Hollywood. I mean, the third one's hate mail to Hollywood. Oh, it's 100% <laughs> hate mail to Hollywood. And oh, it's going to get a little a little real right now because of the hate mail to Hollywood. As most people know, uh, Harvey Weinstein produced all of these movies, including the third one, where they... Uh, literally just kind of shit on everything that actual real-life Harvey Weinstein was doing. Yeah, okay, here's the thing. Obviously, nobody knew about, well, some people knew about the Harvey Weinstein shit at the time. Um, And so I have to wonder who involved with this movie maybe knew. Um, Because it is so clearly and directly like a hit piece on Harvey in retrospect like, if you're looking back, knowing what we know now in 2020 about the Me Too movement on Harvey Weinstein getting exposed, like, it is absolutely a call out about producers exploiting actresses um, and the system of the whole the casting couch system being, like, absolutely fucked. Um, mm. And it just is an it just eviscerates Harvey Weinstein. Um, and there are like a lot of little jokes leading up to it, but uh, ultimately the takeaway with the killer at the end. Um, and this is where we're going to do a quick little spoiler alert, just in case you were like, Scream 3 is just fun and games. I'm going to listen. I don't need to see it. Like, mm, no, you should see it. Um, no. Of all of them, you need to have watched this one. Okay, you need to have watched all of them because then you'd be like, what the hell if you just watched Scream 3 alone? But come on, people, watch the damn movie. Especially now. Like, knowing what we know now makes this movie just mind-blowing yes so roman the director is the killer and he's the only killer it's the only movie where there's just one killer um but he is sydney's secret half-brother um which critics didn't like that there was like a secret half-brother but it's like mrs loomis was secretly billy's relative so i don't really see why that's a con 
Um, I thought it was really well done. They also popped up Martha Meeks, Randy's baby sister, like out of nowhere to be like, people have siblings you might not know about. Isn't that fun? Um, so <laughs> Roman ended up being Sydney's secret half brother from when her mom, Maureen Prescott, was an actress back in the day who was going by the name of Rena Reynolds who filmed a bunch of movies called like Amazombies and stuff like that, which are just like excellent Z-list movie names. I would love to see Amazombies. Um, But Rena Reynolds was a little scream scream queen of her own back in the day with John Milton, the producer for the Stab movies. Um, And when Rowan went looking for his mom, he discovered that she was like, that's from a dark time in my life. Don't talk about it. Don't acknowledge it. Did fuck me up for the rest of forever, um, which is why I cannot see you. You cannot be part of my life. And then that fucked him up in turn. Um, but so his whole thing is like getting revenge for his mom, but also getting revenge on Sydney for having the life that he felt like he should have had. And it turns out he had a hand in Maureen's death too because he like convinced Billy behind the scenes. And also that moment confirms that Billy was in fact double-crossing Stu, which I did write down in my notes. And I was like, Sydney knew. Sydney, this this Sydney on the podcast, Sydney co-host Sydney knew all along. Brilliant. So smart. Genius. Listen, what can I say? I know. I know the game. (laughs) Yes. So it just, the fact that this is Roman's whole point and that the takeaway from the movie is like, if you, the, okay, the takeaway from the movie is not if you exploit people, you're gonna get murdered. Although, is that the worst <laughs> takeaway that you, you could have? Your career is gonna mean, get murdered. But I just felt like Scream 3 was, it wasn't like panned, but it got the worst audience reception. It got the worst critical reception. Um, it has the worst rating on IMDb, which, um, not going to talk about Scream 4 too much right now. We'll do that next episode. But we all agree that it's, like, bad. It just sucks. It's, like, yeah. It's, like, not good. <laughs> and I got like, a, I got a different take that, on that. So we will oh, uh, go into okay, that later. Okay. But, like, the fact that Scream 3 has worse reviews than Scream 4 makes me want to rip my hair out and give myself ugly Betty page bangs. But that's like, come on. this was a comedy. This was not a horror movie. This was a comedy. All the, and I think people were expecting a horror movie and they didn't get it. And that's why it's so poorly rated. But I think how we, we look at it not as a horror movie. And so we're able to love it for what it is a hmm. ca- a camp movie but most a people work of art beautiful but i think most people you know it's a scream movie they want horror they want the gore they want the death they want 50 gallons of blood that's true okay that's a good point because going from scream 3 to scream 4 is like such a huge tonal shift and maybe that's why mm-hmm. i didn't like scream 4 as much because i'm so obsessed with scream 3 um and it you're right it's way more of a comedy than a horror I do think it's still very fun as a slasher um but I guess if what you like about slashers is the gratuitous violence you're not going to get that here <laughs> no I, that's the only thing I look for and gratuitous I, violence I like the camp horror the you know it it reminds me a lot of Clue the movie Clue Ooh, and this yeah. movie okay that's a good comparison a lot of that and so is it a slasher? No. But is it a fun 
whodunit murder mystery 100%. And I totally I love it for that. My theory, though, is that the critics didn't like it because Harvey Weinstein paid them to keep this truth hidden. And so they just panned the film um, and they were like, nobody watched Scream 3 or you're going to figure things out way before you're supposed to figure things out. Um, So I think if everybody was able to go back and see this movie through today's eyes, they would have a different takeaway about how good this film is because, again – don't want to dwell on Harvey Weinstein for too long because what an absolute bummer. Um, but yeah. I mean, bummers saying the least. Um, but it is just like, to me, it's very, um, it, it became like a lot more meaningful once I recognized totally. what was happening. Yeah, totally. This whole movie is like a fucking gut punch to him and it feels so good to watch now. Yeah. Um, but I just want to say that my favorite conspiracy theory that I've ever heard is this conspiracy theory that he paid off the ad. <laughs> Thank the you. Critics. I just made that. <laughs> I am fully 100% on board as a lover of the X-Files. I am very into conspiracy theories, so... <laughs> I'm just saying, do we really think if he's hiring spies to go around finding out dirt on people that he's done wrong, is he really above paying critics off to be like, don't see Scream 3? It's on Absolutely the internet. Absolutely not. So it's real now. Yeah. So that's a real it's conspiracy real now. now. Thank you, Chuck Fact. Death. Fact. <laughs> okay, don't say my name because I don't want the spies to hear me. <laughs> okay, so... Chelsea, you already told us your favorite death, but Sydney, what was your favorite death of this movie? Because there's so many good ones. Okay, so my absolute favorite death is when they're all back at Parker Posey's house, mm-hmm. and it's all the remaining live characters from Stab 3 and Gale and Dewey, and uh, they are, uh, who was it? Stephen Stone, the bodyguard, has just been murdered, and he's not there. Okay, sorry, not to interrupt, but Stephen Stone's murder is where we got the only acknowledgement in the whole rest of this series that Tatum has ever existed, and that was also very meaningful to me. It was also horrible how he mentioned her, too. So I, like, I love that they mentioned her, but also do better. Come on. But yeah, so, I did love that he called Dewey Dewdrop, though. Oh, like, how wonderfully condescending. I, I hope that Gail heard that and then used it with him in a romantic context. You know she does. Like, that's definitely what she calls him as a pet name. Um, but so he has just been got, right? And the power goes off in the house. And they are panicked. They are nervous. And all of a sudden the fax machine starts going off because apparently a fax machine will work if there is no power to the house. And so they are freaking out everybody. And they're like, oh my God, what does the fax say? Show me the car fax. And it's the script from the movie. And it's the script is saying... Uh, kind of what they're doing right now and it's it's a rewrite it's another rewrite and they're they're all in the house is what the script says and so gail is like we gotta get out of the house we gotta get out of the house if the script says we need to be in the house you know obviously we don't need to be in the house and half of them are like no we can't go outside because we're gonna get murdered 
and Tom Prince, who plays Detective Dewey, not Detective Dewey, Deputy Dewey in the Stab movies, runs back inside because the fax machine is still going and they need to know what is going to happen. And there's no power, so he can't read what it says. And all of a sudden, he takes out a lighter from his pocket and he just reads, uh, the next one who dies is going to be the one that smells the gas. And all of a sudden, we see the weirdest face I have ever seen a human make, and he gets blown up. He gets obliterated he like becomes de-atomatized or something like you see him turn into starlight it's incredible it's amazing and it's poetic justice because he was a dick to uh movie sydney and unacceptable angelina or whatever yeah he's just a dick to everybody everybody's smoking inside like this was bound to be a disastrous situation um and then they went outside smart to get away from where the killer is sending you messages and then he just goes back in like nobody deserves to get blown up but tom a little bit did deserve to get blown up i also just love that they like production wise for this movie went full throttle and burst that whole hollywood hills house into smithereens it was incredible Well, you know what Hollywood Hills house that is, don't you? It's the setting for the entire iconic 2019 film, The Haunting of Sharon Tate, starring Hilary Duff and the guy who plays Aaron Samuels from Mean Girls. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's just, can I verify that? No, IMDb would not give me exact filming (laughs) locations. But is it inarguably the same exact house? Like, sure looks like it. There's a trailer in both of them. I don't know it's what kind of funny house. business is going on. To me, that's the same house. You can't tell me it otherwise. It is the same house. It is. It's on the, as we always say, it's on the internet. Now it's real. It's the same house and um, we should try to find it. <laughs> when we do our first field trip, we'll, we'll go looking. But Monica, what was your favorite death? It's hard because there's so many. And honestly, the Sarah Darling one gets an honorary mention because we didn't talk about this, but what when she goes into the costuming room yes. and she's around like 25,000 ghost faces and he's one of them, like, oh my God, that was terrifying. And then when she tries to fight back and all of the weapons are fake weapons. Did you notice? It's so sad. Did you notice that when she was in the room with all the ghost face costumes that there's glitter on them? So they're shiny. Oh. <laughs> they're shiny. Ooh. Camp. That's camp. We told you the movie's campy. If the I had been campy. invited to the Camp Met Gala, I just would have shown up as Jennifer Jolie in Scream 3. That's all I'm saying. And you would have won. Just wearing, I don't know if there's an award, but you would have won. Just Gail's lime green suit from Scream 1, which is revived in Scream 3 when Parker Posey wears it as Jennifer Jolie as Gail. Like, flawless. Iconic. Cannot get better than that. Carly Kloss wishes she had thought of this so that she wore a good outfit instead of what she wore. Oh, it was so bad. Burn them. Um, let's see. Okay, my favorite death. My favorite death comes right at the end, and it's just because it's so it's so cathartic. Because, okay, the stand-in for Harvey in this movie is John Milton. He's the producer. 
And, um, you know, he's a bad, bad boy. And so he's got to get got. He's got to. And I really enjoyed the way he got got. Um, This is like right towards the end of the film. And Roman, who is revealed to be the killer, as we discussed, um, has him bound and gagged. And he and John's trying to beg for his life. And he says, you don't have to do this, Roman. Just tell me what you want. I can make it happen. Any picture, name your budget, script approval, final cut. And then Roman goes, I already have it. And just cuts Milton's throat. Ah, oh, catharsis. True, true joy. I loved it. He's the only <laughs> one throughout the movie that did deserve to die. Yes, 100%. Tom a little bit, but him 100%. <laughs> oh, oh, one thing that we haven't even mentioned yet. Carrie Fisher is in this movie. Yes, okay. That's another, there's, like I said, a lot of good Hollywood references, but also some really good cameos. And the, the Carrie cameos. Fisher one is great, and it also gives us a little plot point moment where she's like, the only reason, because she's not playing Carrie Fisher. She's playing Bianca Burnett who works in like the records room at sunrise studios or whatever it's called. Um, and she helps Gail and double Gail look up Rena Reynolds old headshot and like identify who Maureen Prescott was back in the day. But she gets a fun little joke where she's like, yeah, I auditioned for princess Leia, but Carrie Fisher got the part because she slept with George Lucas. So she gave us an iconic cameo. She gave us some really funny lines, including Gail to double Gail to Gail getting to be like, $50? Who are you? A reporter for Woodsboro High. And <laughs> she gave us the Amazombies line. Just everything Carrie Fisher did, flawless. And Carrie Fisher wrote some of her own lines for this movie. So just an iconic addition to the cast. A real standout in this film. But I know Sydney's got some other favorite cameos. Uh, in this we see Jay and Silent Bob who was Miramax's first real big success story um movie that they did and I I don't know I always thought Jay was real cute so Jay is pretty cute <laughs> yeah I mean I think that was super random didn't make any sense so glad it happened best Jay and Silent Bob cameo since Degrassi the next generation <laughs> oh my um, God. You know, it to to coin a Degrassi phrase, like, it went there. Wow. That was beautifully executed, Chelsea. <laughs> Thanks. It was maybe a little ham-fisted, but I think it's fine. All right. Should we talk about the final scene of this movie? Because it is a wild ride. Yes. And again, this is part of my Scream 3 Sydney is best Sydney. Because in addition to the way she's living her life in the beginning, where she's like, I'm prepared. I have a house and a dog and a gun. What more could a girl need? Um, she's also just like so empathetic throughout this film and like so kind and understanding. And maybe that is from her training as a crisis counselor. But like when she runs into Angelina Tyler, who plays Scr Stab 3 Sydney, um, when she runs into her in the bathroom and she's like upset that she's not going to get her big break in this movie after all, real Sydney's like so sweet and kind and like just wonderful to her and then at the end she's also obviously fighting for her life with roman and like giving it her goddamn all but when roman is like finally dying on the ground she also holds his hand and is like you're fucked up and you should die but you are my brother and you shouldn't be alone in this moment 
Um, and that warmed my little heart. Hmm. But then also the second that he got up again, she's like, do we shoot him in the fucking head? So. <laughs> she's if like, you- she's warm. And then she's like, you got to die, though. Sorry. If you take anything away from these movies, it is just shoot him in the head. I know it's a small target, but the whole face, you doesn't have to be right smack in the middle of the eye. Just shoot at the face. Tell me, Jesus Christ. That's great advice. Words to live by. Okay, don't live by it in real life. Don't shoot anybody in the anything. Um, but in the movies, like, Sydney really learned the importance, the first two Scream movies, of taking the headshot because nobody is ever really dead until you confirm yeah. that you've shot them in the head. And she lives by that in Scream 3. Um, and does she live by it in Scream 4? That will come up later. I have a lot to say. But in this movie, she's like, I know what I'm doing. And if you don't shoot this bulletproof vest ass wearing person in the head right now, it's not going to happen. Also, I think it's super creepy that they're in. So they're in Milton, the film producer's house because Roman is having his birthday party. And just so gross. But like this house, again, Scooby-Doo-esque. It's got all the hidden rooms (laughs) and all the... Secret uh, passageway. It literally has the book thing where you pull the book and then the bookcase flips around. So very classic. Very Scooby-Doo. The gang is all here. (laughs) (laughs) But they, her and Roman, before we realize it's Roman, so it's just her and the killer are locked in a room that is, like, locked, locked. Like... And they can't get out, and he's saying all of these things, and uh, it just, it creeps me out, the whole locked room. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, in this final scene, we do see Patrick Dempsey, who is basically useless throughout this whole movie. Yeah, like, just, he really is, and then... I. Know. I know, I also know, but he gets covered in blood in this scene, which he looks, he's never looked better. His hair is the right amount of floof. The blood is amazing. But um, I know, I was kind of upset that there was only one killer. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't really, there are some parts where it didn't like totally make sense, I feel. But, you know, maybe Roman's just like that next level unhinged you know i don't know get the job done all by himself there was vibes throughout that maybe angelina movie sydney could have been in it with them um i would have also liked to seen patrick dempsey's detective mcdreamy oh i for sure thought he was gonna be the killer I 100% thought it was going to be him. Right? I was, I thought I was so smart. I was like, oh, gotcha, Wes Craven. You think you could pull the wool <laughs> over my eyes? I was so fucking wrong. But they literally, when Randy made his, you know, post-mortem cameo, he talks about how there are no rules. Anybody could die, even the main characters. And none of the main characters died. There was only two, you know, nothing was really bigger or better Um, Because there was only one killer instead of two. This movie should have had three killers and it should have all been them. Like, because if he couldn't find Sydney, what better way to do it and then get an actual police officer involved? And I don't know what his motive would have been, but maybe he just snapped from being a homicide detective because, again, ACAB, who knows? 
He said that his life is his favorite scary movie. Maybe he was like, now that I'm involved in an actual scary movie, life is becoming harder, it is becoming life. Yeah, like, I just think, I don't know. I Like, I, I was a little disappointed that it was just Roman. Okay, that being said, I was really glad when it wasn't detective mcdreamy aka kincaid because i loved his hot sexy uh, chemistry with sydney it was beautiful they did have good Uh, chemistry they really were trauma bonded in in a in a very special way and at the very 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 end it looks like they continued to be friends in the end maybe maybe even lovers who knows because Sydney is a bicon, as I discussed earlier. I did write in my note, like, is this romance? And then I wrote, no, Kincaid takes Sydney to a gay bar and introduces her to her first girlfriend. So that's a little more fan fiction <laughs> for you. Uh, okay. All right. But I love that too. That works just The as chemistry well for me. was absolutely real, a little smoldering. I, I shipped her with him more than any other guy who's been in this franchise so far, except for that one. Blink and you'll miss it moment with Stu. Um, but I wouldn't want her to actually be with mm. Stu because Stu sucks, other than he's so hot. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Not a good guy, but a Derek, hot guy. to me, boring. <laughs> not about it. Not that interested. Um, and he was like, News he bed. just had no empathy for where Sydney was coming from with like suspecting that her boyfriend might be a killer after her last boyfriend was a killer which you know not hard to make that that jump and that connection um (laughs) and he was just like can't see it don't understand and so Kincaid felt to me like he got Sydney in a way that most other people didn't um and so I was willing to get behind it but I didn't really want it to happen I just wanted them to be best friends I agree. And, you know, at the end of the day, she doesn't need the complication of a romance right now. She's tra- she's traumatized for the third time, and she just needs a good friend. She's really got to work on herself. So good. I hope that Kincaid is that for her. Yeah, she needs to take some me Maybe time do actual this. therapy now. Yeah, I, I think that would be a wise choice. <laughs> okay, we've talked about our favorite deaths. Um, this was not a death, which is why I didn't mention it earlier. But I would love to talk about my favorite scene, which is when Sydney is on the Stab 3 set getting chased by Ghostface through her old bedroom, through, like, her mom's murder scene bedroom setup. Like, I love a Hollywood set piece. And I always think it's like so fun to check those out and that we got it within this movie and that it was like these recreations. Like there was another very small blanket and you'll miss it. Tatum acknowledgement, which was like, you could see the stew house set where there's the garage with like the bloody doggy door and the boat outside. Um, and there was like an open fridge with a bunch of beer bottles on the ground um and I loved that like so many just little homages to the first scream and then am- Sydney in her bedroom just beautiful my favorite like it, my favorite moment from this movie is when she's back in her bedroom and she's sitting on her bed and you hear Billy from the first movie talk about when he snuck in to her room and he was like you know like our relationship you know, where he talks about how we were going for a solid, hot and heavy NC-17, but now I feel like we're going back to a PG movie after her mom's death. 
And all like you hear her in uh, a past life and her in real life say, would you settle for a PG-13 romance? And I just, it was so heartbreaking. Yeah. And haunting. like just, she was right? haunting. Like, just such a ugh, moment. She's, I liked that she was haunted in that moment because I thought it was well done, but the haunting with like, these visions of her mom's corpse throughout the film, like, really were not my favorite. Her thing. mom <laughs> in this movie, <laughs> there too much. Me out because is it? It feels like a paranormal thing, but that's not what this movie is, and like, it's just so weird. Yeah. And also the fact that her mom is slut shaming herself from the grave. Like, <laughs> okay, I think the only like actual paranormal moment that we get is in the beginning when Sydney is at her home in Monterey and she has what turns out to just be a scary dream about her mom like clawing at her window didn't like that um I think that I think the implication is that when we see the like coroner's not a blanket but like a tarp maybe like the coroner's tarp um, and we're to believe yeah, that yeah. it is a ghost underneath. I think that is actually just Roman. Um, and I think it's just Roman with the little voice changer and that, that he can do anybody's voice. And if he has all of these movies of Rena Reynolds, you know what I mean? Like he can grab the voice from that easy. Presumably that's what this technology does um, where you just need like a little sample. Mm. Um, but I think that that is not – I don't think we're supposed to think it's a ghost. I think Sydney – thinks it's a ghost because Sydney is finally okay in Scream she has some trauma from her mom dying in Scream 2 she doesn't really acknowledge much of her like active trauma from Scream it feels like she has kind of just like not really processed it at all she shoved it to the side um but what she's dealing with is like the active fear of being in a new killer situation in Scream 3 it feels like she's finally like letting all of this affect her for the first time and and acknowledging that she has all of this even if she hasn't gone to actual therapy yet which she needs to um but I think that's just kind of a moment where she's questioning what's real or not but I think it is supposed to actually be really Roman under the the coroner's tarp yeah yeah in in the house yeah in the house it's really Roman um but yeah it's also precipitated by, like, Roman calls her on the phone mm-hmm. and uses that voice. And she did have that dream at the beginning. But it's just, like, Roman is such a fucking psychopath. Like, how dare you? Like, how dare you re-traumatize her in Has this Sydney way? Has not been through enough? Okay, I think it's time to discuss who gets the Dumb Bitch Award in this one. Because we got a lot of contenders. Uh, we do. I want to go back. To the very beginning of this movie and nominate Cotton. Because, one, as I said earlier, he mixed white with cream, and that is just a no go. But also, um, when his girlfriend is running away from the ghost face killer and she thinks it's Cotton, and she's like, Cotton, I don't want to play your stab games. What the fuck? 
<laughs> that's not not chill like you can't like, be involved in two real life murder sprees and then have fun little sexy games about that later on that's like no, that's not that's acceptable so you can talk about people who need to go to therapy like, jesus that's christ so fucking stupid what are you doing cotton what are you doing and also yeah his show is called 100 cotton and i know y'all like it but i think it is dumb <laughs> No, I love it. One hundred percent cotton shit shrink, shrinks in the fucking wash okay, every time. Maybe and as a tall person, it is very scary. Here's the thing: is that not evocative of who Cotton is as a person? I mean, it is, but again, Cotton is a dumb bitch, so we can have a yeah. dumb name. I did um when we were watching the opening, and I was taking my notes. I was like, oh, like the trauma Cotton feels is so real. You know, his last girlfriend was killed, and then he was framed for that murder, and then he had to deal with other murders. And then she said, "Stop playing your stab games." And I was like, oh, no, never mind. I don't feel bad for Cotton at all anymore. Never mind. It's like, and and may he, he can just lay down yeah. and die now. That's fine. <laughs> That's a okay. Monica, with me. who was yours? Oh man, I mean. There's so many dumb bitches in this one. And I already talked about this a little bit, but he's the number one dumb bitch. I fucking hate him. Um, it's Milton. I hate him. You know? He try the fact that he tried to get out of this shit, are you fucking kidding me? At the very end at the eleventh hour? No, Rome's got a knife to your throat and you deserve this. So he's a dumb bitch in more ways than one. And yeah, it's like, okay, Milton made Roman do this movie so he could do a romance later on, which maybe is what sparked, well, it's not what sparked Roman's breakdown in the whole place because the whole Maureen getting murdered, yeah, the whole Maureen, Maureen murder thing was four years earlier. Um, so, you know, this was in the making for a while. Um, but the fact that he's like, I'll give you whatever movie you want. It's like, babe, it's way too late for that. Roman has already killed eight other people. Um, you just... Yeah. You're not going to give him a movie. Let's be realistic here. There have just been five other murders, like, in this house on this night alone. Like, you think you of all people are going to be spared? No. Jeff, what about you? Okay, I'm actually going to piggyback off Monica's because I think the real dumb bitch in Scream 3, the real dumb bitch is Harvey Weinstein himself. And that's because he paid money to this film to say how much he sucks. You know what I mean? Like he funded his own hit piece and whether he knew that was happening Seriously. or not, you know, that's what happened. And I just think it is, it's the, okay. The way this movie came about was a lot of ups and downs. We talked about the Columbine thing. Also Kevin Williamson didn't write this one. It's the only one he didn't write. Um, and that's maybe also why it like tonally is so different from all the other screams. Um, Cause it, it just like bounced around between a couple different people, but you know, once the scream ball is rolling, once the snowball is rolling down the mountain, you can't stop it. It's not like Harvey Weinstein was going to be like, I don't want to put out scream three and make one bajillion dollars, but yeah. that he had to put down his own money and then he got this movie that just said, fuck you. I love that. Harvey Weinstein is a dumb bitch. No, he's a dumb bitch. He's, I have to agree. I take mine back and I yeah, give it to fuck Harvey. fuck you, Harvey Weinstein. You <laughs> are me. the dumb bitch. Okay, so I want to keep going with Chelsea. 
So she she loves this movie more than any person that I know, and I want her to do her knives out of fives. Yes. Okay. I mentioned this earlier just for some background. Um, on IMDb, this movie is rated 5.6 out of 10, which is lower than any other Scream film. On Rotten Tomatoes, it got a 39% from critics and a 37% from audiences, which is rude because this movie is perfect. Um, the good news is that it did win a Teen Choice Award for choice chemistry between Dewey and Gale, so it didn't get totally ignored on the award circuit. They were on <laughs> Dale immediately. They knew. The teens knew. Also, I just, I've been thinking about this the whole episode. I'm so sorry. Yes, Dale is an option, but Gooey <laughs> is also an option. And I kind of like that oh, one more. Like <laughs> okay, well, we can talk about the Dale vs. Gooey Wars on our Scream 4 episode, where they actually get to finally be a couple for the whole movie. But um, I have to say, if I'm rating this movie's knives out of fives. I gave the first scream five knives out of five <laughs> knives. Um, and I do think that it is a perfect film. And you can't have scream three without scream. So arguably is scream the best in the franchise? Yes. But is scream three my favorite in the franchise? Yes. And so for that, I have to give it a bonus knife which brings it up to six knives out of fives knives. Six knives out of fives. It's knives out of fives, <laughs> y'all. <laughs> but you know what? I love it. It came from your heart, Chuff, and I know that you mean it, and I love that for Thank you. Thank you. But I don't agree. No! <laughs> but, but I love that for I you. I don't agree that it gets six knives. What's yours, Sydney? <laughs> Uh, it's a solid four. Um, it it helps that uh, Patrick Dempsey is in it. You would rate it lower than a four if McDreamy wasn't in it? Yeah, because I would like him covered in blood to have sex with me. Oh my god. <laughs> Parker Posey is right there. I love her as a person, but I don't feel into her in that way. <laughs> Threesome with uh, Detective McDreamy. And stab three Gale. Threesome with Beautiful. Stephen Stone and Jennifer Jolie. Interesting. You got that beefcake <laughs> right there? Come on. Fine. With the threesome with Jennifer Jolie and Stephen Stone. 4.2. <laughs> um, we're working um, that way up. You guys are haters, but I'm going to slowly finagle out these six knives. <laughs> Monica, what about you? Okay. I mean, let's be clear here. What did I give the first one? You Something gave it ridiculous. 4.64. 4. 4. 4.64. Okay. And the second one I gave straight it like three. a straight up three. Okay. Hmm. This movie better get at least a four for you because you gave Scream 2 a three. And we <laughs> all know that Scream 3 is better than Scream 2. I was going to be like 3.9. Eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. <laughs> no, four stars minimum. It rounds up. It Here's rounds up. I don't accept. I stand by it. Three point nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Nine Give out it of a five. bonus point. And that's my final answer. Lock what it about in, Regis. when Stephen Stone picks Parker Posey up? <laughs> that point gets six out of five knives, but that's not the whole movie. <laughs> I will accept 
your not quite four point rating because they changed the Indigo Girls poster in Sydney's room to a Creed poster on the set of Stab Three, oh. and for that reason, I I think maybe the movie doesn't quite deserve to be four full stars. The greatest betrayal. And yet you yelled at me for giving it a four? Well, but I can't budge Monica. So here's the thing. <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't be so easily swayed. You can't um, budge me. Stick to your gun, Sydney. <laughs> okay. That uh, was our enthralling <laughs> take on Scream 3. Next episode, be prepared for an argument about Scream 4. Yeah, apparently Sydney's yeah, got some controversial takes. Yeah, because I feel like uni- I feel like universally everyone is like it's bad. But Sydney, I'm interested and I'm open to hearing your argument. I don't argument. know that I'm open to hearing your argument, but I I will hear it regardless. So <laughs> yeah, so, non-negotiable. So uh, hopefully you will also be interested in <laughs> what I have to say. Most people aren't, so if you are, I thank you. Um, <laughs> If you liked this episode, give us a like and a follow. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. And also make sure to go rate and follow our social medias. We are at Spooky underscore Tuesday on both Instagram and Twitter. Spooky Tuesday was created by Monica Height, Sydney Thompson, and Chelsea Duff and edited by Sydney Thompson. Our gorgeously spooky tunes are all thanks to Tamara Simons, who you can follow on Instagram at Captain Tamara. And our podcast art is by Mary Murphy, who you can find on Instagram at the underscore moon underscore OMG. You stop your whining and get on with it. I've heard this shit before. Stop! You know why you kill people, Roman, do you? Don't want to hear it! Because you choose to. There is no one else to blame. Damn it! Fucking damn it! Why don't you take some fucking responsibility? Fuck you! Fuck you! Fuck you!